Hello and welcome to Euromoney at COP27. My name is Marianne Gro, sustainable finance reporter at Euromoney magazine and your host for this podcast. Over the next two weeks, I'll be sharing the latest news and views from the UN Climate Change Conference in Sharm el-Sheikh. As I am recording this, it's almost the end of the first week of COP27. We've heard from world leaders allocating loss and damage funds to support developing countries, and we've also seen some capital commitments coming from the private sector for climate adaptation. But another important theme that was discussed in Sharm el-Sheikh is green hydrogen. The Hydrogen Summit in the Innovation Zone brought together corporates, investors, and energy ministers to discuss the expansion of the energy source. I sat down with Ayman Soleiman and Abdallah El-Biadi, Chief Executive and Investment Officers from the Sovereign Fund of Egypt, to hear more about the country's green hydrogen plan. Welcome to both of you to the Your Money at COP27 podcast, and thank you for being here. It's a big Thanks year. For us. Pleasure. It's a big year for Egypt as a host country of the COP conference. How has it been so far for you? So, uh, it is the first time for me to uh, to attend any COP, and as a as a sovereign fund, sovereign funds are new to COPs, but uh, but this time around, I think the, the green theme and and what's happening in the in, in the energy space, uh, geopolitically as well, is, is actually driving a lot of economics into that space. And the big theme is uh, delivery, underground projects, championship, and this is where we're rubbing shoulder with the championship uh, program as well, with our partners to bring uh, projects to life, showcase the projects we've been working on. And I think the best time of the year is during the COP to showcase those. And Egypt has that potential of the renewable resources to deliver green. And how has the feedback been during the events? Um, so, so far, I think there are uh, three sides to the, to the COP. So there's the, the negotiation side, and we have nothing to do with that. Then there's the, the champion side, the activities, the, the negotiations, the multilaterals, uh, the pledges towards uh, projects, unlocking the financing. All of those are, 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 are a good side. And then our own pipeline of showcasing our uh, success, cutting the ribbon on... Uh, projects showcasing production and, and real delivery on the ground of projects that have been done 100% by the private sector without government support. So basically showcasing that the private sector sees the opportunity, acting on the opportunity. So to our listeners who are perhaps not as familiar with the Sovereign Fund of Egypt, can you give us a little bit of an introduction on your mandate and what sectors and strategies are, are of interest? Sure. So um, uh, why did Egypt launch a Sovereign Fund? Most of the sovereign funds come to existence either to uh, um, diversify economies, so a single-track economy, is it, uh, be it an oil-rich economy, an agri-economy, uh, an industrial economy, and then they want to diversify. So they create sovereign funds to invest and reinvest the wealth that is generated from that single-track economy to create diversity so that they have a well-diversified economy. So some economies do that. And some create sovereign wealth funds so that they invest for the future generations. And I think most of the European mandates of the sovereign funds are about that, creating wealth for the future generation. We, we create a combo of both. Egypt is a well-diversified economy. Uh, other mandates include stabilizing the economy. Diversity gives you stability, a well-hedged portfolio of industries that give that economy a continuous pathway of growth continued growth if some struggle others are, are taking on. And that is part of the mandate that we create. Uh, we come to existence and in, in Egypt to try and crowd in private sector into sectors that we know we want to have in the next 30 years. 
what is our GDP looking like? Egypt is, is a country of tourism. It's a country of logistics, trade route, the Suez Canal. It's a country of agri. So we are thousands of years old uh, industrial uh, economy or agricultural economy. And that is uh, part of our DNA as an economy. But then again, there are new avenues that are being discovered. We became the most populous Arab nation in the world. We are an investment fund. We are a private equity investment fund. We, we run things this way. So with that mindset, we start creating currency out of our uh, heritage assets, tourism, our property and, and real estate assets towards uh, social infrastructure, education, business uh, entrepreneurial uh, infrastructure, and then deploy our renewable resources, our newly found unlimited resources of solar and wind. And that is the, 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 the green fuel supply of the future. And, and how do we create currency out of that? Through creating investments that are nurturing that industrialization of that resource. And we, we came up with those multiple sector strategies that then deliver long-term value and create wealth. And so as a straightforward private equity investment fund, what are your return expectations? I think this, the, the return expectations are very much aligned with um, each of the verticals we operate in. Our strategy is we choose our partners very well, we align ourselves with our partners, and we drive return that is equitable to our partners so that our interests are aligned. And then once we, we find the right partner, perfectly aligned on our bottom line, our double bottom line uh, uh, goals as well, then it's downhill from there. I will pass that on to Abdullah to capture within his narrative as well. So as I'm saying, I mean, the double bottom line is quite important. So when we measure return, it's not only financial return, but it's also return to the total economy. So are we adding the right developmental angle there? Is that sustainable development? And if that answer is absolutely yes, then we want to partner with a private sector uh, investor. We want to launch that business. And we will accept whatever financial returns then that the private sector is accepting. So we would allow the private sector to take the advantage on creating that return expectation, and we will match. And obviously, the return expectation will be different by industry. So you'd expect a much lower return, for example, on a utilities and infrastructure investment versus a fintech or an early uh, stage startup business. And you, you mentioned that energy and infrastructure was a, is a key theme at the COP27 conference. So I'm curious to know, what are your energy priorities? What subsectors are you looking at? And can you give sure. us some examples and details on your investment strategy? Absolutely. So when we started the fund, we divided ourselves uh, along four sub-funds. And it's really not for asset allocation, but it's for human resource allocation. So we have a, a, top, uh, a top talent management team leading each of these efforts. So we have a sub-fund for infrastructure and utilities, one for healthcare, one for fin fintech and financial services, and the fourth is for real estate, hospitality management, and antiquities. Now, under each one of these sub-funds, we focus on various investments. Let's start with utilities and infrastructure, since, as you've mentioned, this is a very big theme at COP27. Now, there we are really focusing on transitioning to a greener economy. So one of the key themes that we have is green hydrogen, water desalination, but green water desalination. So the energy source must be renewable. So upstream of that would be wind and solar. We're looking at green data centers and so on and so forth. So for green hydrogen, for example, we want to put Egypt in the leadership position globally to be the center for producing green hydrogen and the downstream assets coming out of green hydrogen, like green ammonia or e-methanol or others. 
And during this COP, uh, and as we have implementation part of this COP, we wanted to showcase one of our projects that have started to operate in the field of green hydrogen. And that happened uh, two days ago with the uh, presence of uh, our, our president, Egypt's president, uh, President Sisi, and the prime minister of Norway, where we announced uh, and inaugurated the launch of the first 100 megawatt of electrolyzer in Egypt. This is a significant milestone because it's a large project. It's happening in Egypt. It greens a certain percent of an ammonia plant that is already existing. And soon enough, that green ammonia will be hitting Europe. So we have validated the model and we have a lot more to do there. Uh, water desalination, we've taken some steps to take water desalination to the private sector and then see how the private sector can come in and participate by creating desal capabilities for Egypt that is green. So that's the infrastructure and utilities. And since you're tapping into a source of energy that's in such high demand given the global agenda around the green economy, how has that translated in you being able to attract foreign capital into Egypt's green hydrogen projects? So this was built step by step and it was built several years ago when Egypt started pioneering projects in solar and wind. And as solar and wind uh, um, uh, investments improved and as technology improved and as costs came down, Egypt then emerged as a perfect center for green hydrogen production because the cost of producing the upstream energy, the solar and the wind became so competitive that the green hydrogen is going to be very competitive in Egypt. And that really puts us on the map. The ability of the government to have proper agreements with international investors, for international investors to have a very good experience investing in Egypt in solar and in wind over the past number of years is what gave the credibility of Egypt to come in and say, yes, I will be the center of producing green hydrogen in the world. And that's what led us to sign several agreements. I mean, so far we've signed about 15 MOUs with different investors to launch various uh, green hydrogen projects. Uh, some of these MOUs will be uh, hopefully pushed to a framework agreement stage uh, before the end of the COP. And very soon we want to welcome you to attend the signature of some joint development agreement uh, that are binding. And, uh, you know, in a few years, we want to have a big celebration for Egypt, you know, being the largest producer of green hydrogen globally. That sounds great. I look forward to it. But where are, there, are those investors from? Are they mostly European and Western? Are you also seeing interest coming from the Gulf or Southeast Asian investors? Sure. I mean, all these are publicly uh, available data, and, and most of these investors are European investors, large multinationals, but also many from, from the GCC countries. Uh, we also have uh, some investors from India who are also very uh, excited about investing in green hydrogen in Egypt. And this shift towards green hydrogen coming from international investors, to what extent is it linked to obviously the energy crisis that has been sort of plaguing Europe's access to energy uh, since March last year, March of this year? Right. So, so I think the, the beginning of the interest in green hydrogen came you know, significantly before the crisis. But obviously the crisis has accelerated the demand, got people more excited about diversifying energy resources. And Egypt plays a very good role in that because geographically it's really close to Europe. That's on one end. On the other end, the cost of producing, you know, solar and wind resources are so competitive that we are the right center. So hopefully that accelerates the pace of investments in green hydrogen. In continuation to what, what Abdullah described, 
the, our long-term view uh, and, and, and vision on, on, on the green hydrogen is, is not only just the production of the molecule, it what go, comes afterwards. So green hydrogen uh, goes into green fuel. So green fuel uh, will be e-methanol, for instance. E-methanol is the future fuel of uh, uh, shipping lines. So some fleet pieces are coming online to production uh, uh, by 2026. So we need to have that uh, fuel ready and produced around the shores of the Suez Canal. So our vision is this entire ecosystem that's being built is a, an upstream uh, of 15 gigawatts. That, that, that uh, This is the magnitude of the initial phase one of uh, those electrolyzers that are being uh, commissioned, and then move downstream towards a molecule manufacturing on the shores of the Suez Canal within the economic zone, the industrial economic zone of the Suez Canal. Within that, then the, the next phase would be bunkering to offer green fuel for shipping uh, uh, fleet passing through the Suez Canal. So this is how we can green that corridor even further. So the, the milestones that are being built is there's actual, an actual deadline of delivery of that green fuel happening. What's, what's next beyond that is how hydrogen can become part of the mix of the uh, uh, mix with natural gas towards firing turbines or towards firing uh, um, uh, energy conventional um, um, power generation uh, capacities as well. So this is where we see the future of hydrogen going. Our role as a fund came in to actually also sit with the One Planet, for instance, um, uh, sovereign funds um, uh, collective. This the One Planet is is all about uh, catering and reading how can sustainable investments go? How can we green our portfolios? Of course, we are a very young organization, so we started afresh. We had the advantage of going green at the get-go. But then again, through our commitment, through our advocacy, we managed to get the One Planet uh, um, um, asset managers and, uh, and, part and sovereign wealth fund, uh, partners to actually identify green hydrogen as an asset class for investment. So that's also another thing. It's, it's part of that whole ecosystem. Asset managers, fund managers, deploying towards that asset class. When, when you have those uh, players looking for investment opportunities there, and then you have that supply coming from this part of the world or Latin America or Australia, these are the, the largest hubs. I, I think everyone identified Egypt as having the, the, the highest number of projects being uh, developed in green hydrogen production uh, globally. Uh, right after Australia. Australia has been at the forefront of that, given their renewable resources as well, very competitive. But Egypt is now the second uh, largest number of projects being developed in the world. And in terms of numbers, like uh, of, of capital commitment, what does that represent and what is the outlook? The, uh, the, the aggregate of, of those uh, MOUs signed, and, and there's uh, at least six or seven more lined up uh, after COP, is north of 25 to 26 billion dollars of capex just for the phase one the yeah. entire population would 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 exceed 58 billion dollars for the whole uh, program so it's quite a significant it is it is it's a game it's a game-changing investment and it's only going to dent a very a very small part of the energy needs of our european neighbors yeah so uh, th that is why and, and also one of the biggest uh, uh, factors for egypt is we already have an excess in, in capacity of power generation. So many markets that you can export to, you have to have the abundance. Many European off-takers would shy away from uh, uh, buying cheap electrons or cheap electrons produced uh, products on off a market that is actually deprived that their own citizens 
don't have access to that electricity. We are the only market in Africa that has that abundance. Yeah. And so in, in terms of Egypt's own uh, national energy consumption, to what extent is this strategic shift towards green hydrogen met with perhaps a phase down of uh, fossil fuel energy production and, and even use? So Egypt is announcing uh, um, a decommissioning. Uh, I'm not sure if that was announced yet, so it's not ours to make. But uh, I can tell you the headline. So the headline is Egypt has a massive uh, uh, fossil-based um, uh, uh, energy production capacity. They're going to decommission and displace a large portion of that capacity with renewables. But this is one play that is happening just on the energy mix. Our commitment is we will move from 20% uh, by 2030 to 42% by 2050 of renewables into the, uh, the energy mix. So this is on a, on a national grid basis. And then there are the desal program that Abdullah had mentioned. It's going to full, be fully powered by renewables. And then the green hydrogen production is an incremental production. Let me give you a sense of the numbers. So our current installed renewable capacity is roughly uh, six gigawatts, inclusive of some that have been announced recently. And this number is going to uh, grow to 15 gigawatts of just on-grid capacity for the sake of uh, national consumption. And, and some electron exports. And then we have identified but untapped uh, renewable resources of north of 300 gigawatts of wind and 700 gigawatts of solar. So we have 1,000 gigawatts of renewable capacity that is going to power up either export, either uh, electrons, green electrons that go towards uh, manufacturing. Mm -hmm. So we are building towards that hub of green power uh, for the future. So this is the magnitude of the opportunity yes. and, and the blue sky that, uh, that we are looking at. Yes, because I imagine you also have to cater for growing industries in all other sectors that are important to Egypt's economy. Absolutely. Absolutely. And a growing population as yes. well. Growing and greening. Yeah. Because, because some of the existing industries you know, need to turn to green. Like which ones? All your heavy users of energy. So when you think of cement, when you think of steel, when you think of... Um, Aluminum, when you think of, you know, all these industries, they will have to turn green. And the time has come for, uh, you know, for the Sovereign Fund of Egypt to lead the investment process to have Egypt be completely green, but also help other countries also consume green. So all the industries that are heavy users of, of energy, if we're able to provide them with uh, green hydrogen, then their product is green, then they export green products and so on and so forth. But just even beyond their energy use, are you finding that the high-emitting players in those sectors that you mentioned are also coming up with low-carbon solutions to their business models? So some low-carbon solutions are present, but I think the game-changer is the green hydrogen because you're able to get uh, a source of energy uh, that gives you the right calorific value but is evergreen. And that is something the world hasn't seen ever. So, so it's really a game changer in terms of energy production and energy usage. And, and, and for asset-heavy industries, they have to do very little retrofit as well. So that's the opportunity. Yes, absolutely. So greening all... Egypt is the sixth largest exporter of ammonia fertilizer globally. So you already have massive capacities installed. Greening that capacity and, and, and capturing that, uh, uh, car, that green premium or... or uh, the competitive, uh, be competitive on the carbon taxing that's happening on on, uh, on imports of grey ammonia, 
this is an opportunity. It's a commercial, commercially viable opportunity, but then where in the world would you, would you be able to turn green very quickly because mm -hmm. you have access to that much resources? I, I can take that even further to other service industries, for instance, telcos, data centers. All, all of these are, they have identified now carbon footprints. Data centers count for at least 4% of global emissions. So emails are not carbon free. So if you can actually decarbonize that uh, cloud infrastructure is actually denting that emission as well. Egypt is one of the few markets where telco players can literally, and I think this has been inked already, they are switching their entire power consumption to green. Yeah. So it's one of the few countries where you actually have access to that. And I'm guessing the implications are quite significant because we're talking about uh, reducing carbon across an entire value chain if you're starting at the infrastructure level and the production yes. of the fertilizer, etc. And, and we're not decarbonizing our own economy. We're actually de helping decarbonize Europe as well. Yeah. Earlier you mentioned the one summit of the sovereign wealth funds, but the sovereign fund of Egypt, I think, is a slightly different model to the other global sovereign wealth funds. Can you give us some explanation as to how, how those differences kind of come up? I'll, I'll tell you. It's a flavor of, of how, we've, how we forge those partnerships. So... The sovereign fund of Egypt comes from a, an emerging market. So we're not as capital abundant as, as other sovereign funds that may be on the buy side. They're, they are eager to deploy to satisfy their own diversity, their own uh, food security or uh, medical security. So they have their own investment mandates. We cater to that by creating a joint investment opportunity. Their capital flows, some of those funds are observers to collectives, such as a collective of the African sovereign funds. Some others are observing uh, the investment activities on the Euro-Mediterranean. So there are many collectives that are investing in logistics and infrastructure projects, and we crowd in their capital to come into uh, our projects. So they, they have access to those uh, green projects. They are able to fulfill their uh, uh, decarbonization commitments. We are able to actually increase our firepower as a fund through our partners. We come in as aligned partners and we invest into those uh, projects as well. And is it all direct investments, or are you also looking to kind of tap into smaller private equity and VC funds? We, we, we do that on a, on, a, on a scale where we see eye to eye with managers that are specialized. So next to the five, uh, to the four uh, uh, sub funds we have, we also manage virtual uh, sectors. So if, uh, we have a team dedicated towards educational assets. In that, we invest alongside asset managers that have the proficiency and the dedicated teams that we are comfortable to, to deploy to manage our investments. So, and, and we, we co-invest alongside those players in their specialized field. So we do that with education, with agriculture. With, 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 so our mandate is, is quite flexible where we can do that. Mm -hmm. Actually, to, to give you a bit more flavor about how we're funded. So the Sovereign Fund of Egypt only has one limited partner, if you will, which is the Egyptian Treasury. So we only get funded by the Treasury, whether that funding is in capital, cash, or in capital in kind, as in you know buildings uh, that are unutilized, government buildings that are unutilized, or government assets such as equity in companies that may be uh, underutilized, where there is a potential to increase profitability and increase returns to the Egyptian people. So th these are the two forms of how we get capitalized. I think over the past uh, year and change, where we've been very active investing, we were able to measure a multiplier about five times. So every time we spend a dollar, we get five dollars to come spend or come invest alongside us. And these are three dollars uh, from international investors and two dollars from local investors. Uh, so that bodes well to kind of what we're, where we're heading and what we want to achieve.
you, you mentioned a, a flexible mandate. So we're about halfway through the COP27. Is there any, are there any events that you're looking forward to that our listeners should know about maybe that you're participating in? Sure. So again, I mean, to remind everyone, I mean, Egypt is hosting COP27 on behalf of Africa and it's really together for implementation. So what we are very keen on is to showcase a number of investments that we have been able to implement or are about to implement. So for example, the celebration of uh, launching 100 megawatts of electrolyzer to produce green hydrogen, you know, that was 48 hours ago and we're very proud to be able to, to have that event. But going forward, I mean, we're looking forward to sign uh, some agreements with, um, to water desalination. And again, this is water, green water desalination. We're also having uh, to make the case for green data centers, and we look forward to that. We have an event where we're showcasing green buildings. Um, so, you know, there, there are a lot of activities that are still to come that I think uh, our, our audience should be tuned to. Great. Well, I look forward to hearing about it as the COP continues. Thank you so much to both of you for taking part in this podcast. It's our pleasure, Rob. Well,